Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources to remind you that you're not alone. In this episode, number 237, I'm inviting back a popular guest, Karis Kimmel Murray. Good discipline is responding, not reacting. When we're reacting, we're not thinking about what's best for our kids very often. We're thinking about maybe what's best for us. You know, if we choose to take it personally, then we stay stuck in our emotions, in a victim mindset, and we can't think clearly. And I'm not saying take the rules away or don't have the same expectations, but when we can see our kid, you know, the way that God sees them, we can approach them with love and kindness, but also with discipline and say, it's in your best interest that you learn to obey these rules. It's just that mental shift of good discipline is for our kids. It's not about us. Karis is the author of the book, Grace-Based Discipline, which is now a video series available through Right Now Media. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show, but she's the perfect person to talk to us about the topic. One, her dad is Dr. Kimmel, who wrote Grace-Based Parenting. And two, she keeps it real. Karis lets us know that she has ADHD, her daughter's been diagnosed, and her husband has recently. So she's not presenting this everything's perfect and rosy scenario from which she's having to learn grace-based discipline. She helps us understand what needs are perhaps going unmet that are causing the misbehavior that we're wanting to quote unquote discipline. We talk through how do you know something isn't a diagnosis related behavior versus uh, something that needs to be corrected. And more than anything, we're always pointing back to the gospel and how we can love our children and deal with the misbehavior separate from them. I love sharing resources with you, particularly ones that you are able to participate in from the comforts of your home through the interwebs. I, in January, shared with you the Connected Families Discipline That Connects online course, which if you missed, it's coming back around in the fall. No worries. And then in February, I shared Paul David Tripp's Marriage Conference, which you can still check out by going to don'tmomalone.com forward slash marriage. And this month, I want to share with you a way that you can grow spiritually. It's through the Enjoy God's Word Women's Bible Conference. It's happening in April. 23rd through 25th, 2019. But when you purchase a ticket, you don't just get access to the six sessions focusing in on the book of Philippians taught by my friend, Katie Orr. And you don't just get the 20 breakout sessions from amazing dynamic Bible teachers. You get lifetime access. So if you can't watch it on those dates, if you're busy on those dates, no worries. You can watch it whenever you want in your PJs. If you're just needing a boost in knowing how to study God's word or just a reminder of who God is, check out the Enjoy God's Word Women's Conference. You can go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash enjoy God's word. And if you sign up before March 19th, which March 19th, 2019, you get $20 off of the ticket price. So that's a huge deal. And a portion of your ticket is going to go towards the production of this podcast. So I really appreciate the support, especially if you use the link going to don'tmomalone.com forward slash enjoy God's word. 
I'll be there. I have a session there so you can hear me preach a little bit. And I'm excited to join all my other friends who are going to be a part of this conference, several of whom have been on the show. All right, let's get to my chat with Karis. Here we go. Hey, Karis, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm good. I guess it's not really welcome back because when you came before, it was God-centered mom and all that jazz. But it's been two years. It's been two years. I mean, how did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. It feels like yesterday, but um, time just flies. Well, you were one of our most downloaded episodes that year, Grace-Based Discipline. If y'all haven't gone and heard that episode, go check it out now. And so we thought we'd we'd do another round and talk about how grace informs uh, discipline. Your dad wrote the original Grace-Based Parenting, and you have uh, followed it up with a discipline book that's hilarious. Hilarious. (laughs) So funny. So funny. You're a mom to two. Introduce us a little bit to your family. Yeah. I'm married to my husband, Mike. We've been married almost 18 years. And we have two daughters. Our oldest, Riley, is 16 now, and she's driving, <laughs> and she has a boyfriend. Oh, my star. Which I'm sure she appreciates me telling everyone. Well, I mean, we're happy. For, that this, this is podcast. the natural progression of life, so Naturally, we're happy for you. Yeah. We, we, we want these things for our children. It's, yeah, no, it's good things. So, yeah. and then um, my younger one is fourteen. She'll be fifteen in a couple months here. So, my older one is is a sophomore. My younger one is a freshman in high school. So, they're just one year apart in school, and they're super close, which I'm so grateful for. And I really don't think I had anything to do with how good of friends they are. I just think that's just been a blessing that they're close, and of course they get on each other's nerves and fight a little bit, but they really are great friends. So, and I was telling you earlier, they're both playing on the women's lacrosse team at their high school together. So it's the first time they've both been in the same sport on the same team. So cool. And uh, it's just been super fun, but. So you can calm the nerves of all the moms who are terrified of the teen years. It's not, it's not scary. Oh, it's the best. Mm-hmm. It is the absolute best. I mean, the, this is like my little soapbox. I can go on for forever, but <laughs> we're all taught to just dread the teen years. It's like this script that we've just been programmed to be like, oh, the teens are the worst. And even when we're, you know, our kids are younger, it's like we're taught to dread it. Mm-hmm. And that's how other parents talk about it. That's how we learn to talk about it. But it isn't that way. And it certainly doesn't have to be that way. And so I, you know, early on, I was like, and my mom was this way too. So I learned from her, but, but she's like, let's just change how we think about and talk about teenagers. And there's at least a possibility that they'll live up to our good expectations of them, you know? Yeah. And I found that that's so true. So it's like any other stage, there's, there's good days and bad days, but I love the teen years and I'm having so much fun with my kids right now. That's so awesome. And you're, perspective on parenting that I loved was that you're real in your book. You don't sugarcoat it. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were just saying how beautiful and wonderful it is, but I know it's, you're still real about how there have been hard seasons. And yeah, you even told me when we, we got on the call, like I don't have personal experience with all special needs, but uh, tell us how you were familiar with ADHD. What's your experience there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Lots of lived experience there. So First of all, my father, Tim Kimmel, has ADHD. I have it. I've always had it. The way that ADHD works is you're born with it and 
you always have it. You might um, age out of some of your symptoms where they just don't bother you as much. But anyway, I've always had it. And then um, my husband was diagnosed with it about two years ago. Really? And I know he's not 21. No, no, no. He's, uh, I mean, two years ago, he would have been 38. Yeah. Okay. Um, And it's so funny because when that happened, I mean, he he said, you know, I really think I might have this. And Mm. he and I are so opposite. Our personalities are opposite. Kind of our skill sets are so different. And so in my mind, I'm like, there's no way you have it because I have it and you and I are... (laughs) as different as can be. Mm. But what I, what I found after, you know, there's a pretty rigorous, uh, assessment process that, you know, he went through with a psychologist who, you know, would know better. And he definitely has it when you look at how he sort of answers questions on these assessment tests that look for ADHD. I was like, oh yeah, you definitely have it. So what I found is I was associating some of my personality Hmm. with, it was like that ADHD made me these ways, but, but in reality, no, I'm different than my husband. And so even when there are special needs that, you know, you could have a diagnosis, but your unique child is going to present in a totally different way. Yeah. And then in addition to my husband and I, it should be no surprise that <laughs> one of our children has it. It's actually kind of miraculous that both of our children don't have it because it's very highly hereditary. So, but our younger daughter, Lydia, has has ADHD and the process of sort of discovering that and getting her diagnosed and treated, you know, was sort of a big part of dealing with discipline issues with her. So I don't know how much you want to get into yeah, it. Yeah, no, let's but- do it. Let's like, what did you find most challenging when she was younger and disciplined? And she's the older or younger, remind me. She's the younger of my okay. two. She's so 14. you've already done this. You've already disciplined one. The second one comes along and were you like, right. why is this not working? It worked before. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You, you think you kind of have it down. <laughs> anybody who's got anybody who's got, or you don't, you know, you don't have it down, which is frankly kind of where I was. I was like, I know I don't have any of this down, but it was going relatively well with my first one why is nothing the same, you know? And I think anybody who has two kids, whether they have special needs or not, it's like every kid is different. And so the same things don't always um, work the same way. But I mean, my younger one, honestly, I think I knew in my heart right away, you know, as soon as she was kind of mobile and, and walking and communicating, I was like, yeah. I mean, I think I knew, always knew in my heart that she had it. She couldn't sit for one second. It's like she was wanting to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and quite literally could not remember to keep her little butt in the chair. (laughs) It's like she wasn't trying to be disobedient or rebellious. It was just her brain was like triggered to go to the next thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it certainly felt sometimes like she was (laughs) trying to be rebellious. And I mean, she's a kid, so there is some of that too. But we definitely started to identify ways in which really, yeah, her brain was, you know, putting up so many barriers for her to be able to act the way she should and the way she wanted to. Um, And and it really kind of came to a head with school. 
I mean, from kindergarten on, every time we would meet with the teacher for parent-teacher conferences, they would say, Lydia is an amazing kid. She is so kind. She's so loving. She's so smart. But she cannot produce any work on her own. Mm. And, you know, when it's kindergarten, you hear that, you kind of go, well, they're in kindergarten. I mean, what do you expect, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I, I unfortunately blew the teachers off longer than I should have, even having ADHD myself. Now, I was never treated or given medication when I was younger. We didn't know as much about it then. And so I was kind of like, well, I got through, you know, she's going to get through. And um, by about the fourth grade, my sweet Lydia was just a shell of the child that she'd once been. Going to school every day for her was, it was just entering into so much struggle. You know, she, she was at the point where she could tell the difference between her and other kids. You know, she, she knew that she wasn't keeping up and that she wasn't able to, to do what the other kids would do. And I think she, it wasn't that she thought she was dumb because I think she knew, yeah, I'm smart, but why can't I put, you know, my brain to work? Why can't I use my smarts to actually accomplish what I need to do? And that just was weighing on her self-esteem. And I think the idea that she was going to have to spend the next, whatever, nine, ten years facing this daily struggle of school was, was just causing her to be so depressed. And um, I was putting her to bed one night. And we'd been, I mean, we were having a lot of, you know, screaming, crying over homework. I mean, it would just, everything, it had taken over our lives. Our afternoons were terrible and hours and hours and hours trying to help her get through her homework. And so the whole day she's just struggling. And so I'm putting her to bed one night and she says, you know, mom, sometimes I just, I just really want to go and be with God. School is just so hard and I just want to go be with Jesus. And, um, I mean, even talking about it now, I get, I get choked up to hear your child say that they want to die. (laughs) Um, and you know, she and I have talked about that night since, and she said, you know, I wasn't really saying like I was going to kill myself or anything like that. She just, she was trying to put into words that she just, it would just be easier to be in heaven with God, with Jesus, which I mean, that's true for all of us, right? Right. But um, it was a huge wake-up call. I I walked out, you know, I kind of prayed for her, and I put my poker face on because, you know, you want to try not to react to things like that when your kids tell you. And just said, okay, honey, we're going to get you the help you need. I don't know what we need to do, but we're going to get you the help that you need. And I went out and I told my husband, and he just said, let's pray. So that started us on a, on a journey of trying to discover what it was that was going on with her brain. And so, you know, we had a full uh, educational kind of study done with her um, through the school. That I mean, I think that's one of the great wins of the public school system is that there are a lot of resources available for kids who learn differently. And so the school psychologist assessed her. We also had a private, you know, a doctor that was recommended to us do some testing on her. She, you know, we thought maybe she has some learning disabilities and that wasn't the case. It was, she had ADHD and she also kind of registered on the scale for depression. And you know, I can see that because she was struggling so much. And so the the doctor just said, I really think we can treat her ADHD first 
And I really think that the depression is going to get better because she's going to be feeling better about her life. So really for ADHD, the first line of treatment is medication. And I know that people think that that's um, controversial. I, I know when we went down that road with her and then, you know, I ended up getting officially diagnosed and treated for the first time when we were helping her because I was having a hard time helping her without treating my own ADHD. I don't think that medication is controversial or that it should be controversial. Obviously, it's not for every kid all the time, but I think it's just like any other health condition. And I feel pretty strongly that any kid or any person diagnosed with ADHD should have the opportunity to at least try medication, just like anything else. If it were high blood pressure, if it was, you know, if somebody gets a cancer diagnosis, nobody sits back and tells them you should avoid medication at all costs. It's like, no, if the doctor recommends it, they should have the opportunity to at least try it and see how it works for them. And then they might decide that they don't want to go that route, but you know, it took some trial and error, but it's helped both of us tremendously. I mean, I wrote a book because I finally got treatment for my ADHD. It's not something I ever would have been able to do, but something I always wanted to do. So, so that's kind of our journey with it. And to see her blossom after that at school has just been just so heartwarming and, and such a triumph for her and, and how hard she has worked. But also I think, I mean, I hope it's encouraging to other parents that you have to enter into that process of getting treatment for your kid, whether it's ADHD or something else or a learning disability or difference or autism spectrum. There's all sorts of special needs that parents can face uh, with their kids that are really going to impact everything, school, but also how the child participates in the family and even discipline issues. Um, Yeah, I think... What you said is so helpful, sharing your story that you journeyed, you journeyed and you Mm -hmm. wondered, is this typical? How extreme is this? What help do I need to get? I mean, uh, I heard someone say fear that leads to control and anger is not helpful, but fear that leads to resourcefulness is. And what I think Mm -hmm. when our kids say those extreme things or we see them struggling, we try to clamp down in fear or anger, um, Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't benefit anyone, but if it leads to resourcefulness and and seeking out help and advocating for our kids. And like you said, we can sometimes draw this line in Christian circles that of hierarchy, that it's homeschool, private school, public school. But I think we need to open up our eyes to see that there are some really great resources in the public schools and some really great opportunities there. And we have to trust where God's leading our friends and their kids and ourselves and and not um, deny that that God can use a lot of different school options Absolutely. for our families. Yeah. So you said you wrote a book. It's called Grace-Based Discipline. I mentioned it earlier. And so as you were disciplining this child that is struggling and you're not knowing, is it personality? Is it second birth order? Is it something else? Mm-hmm. You know, Your dad wrote Grace-Based Parenting. So you already had that in your head and you already knew yeah. that approach. But what challenges came up in implementing that approach with with a child who processes the world differently? Yeah. Well, you know, my dad in his book, Grace-Based Parenting, introduces the concept that, well, he, he you know, he didn't make this up, but he, he brings up in his book that everybody has these three driving inner needs. 
everybody wants to feel loved. Everyone wants to feel secure and everyone wants to feel strong. And we want to have love, purpose, and hope in our lives, right? But So a secure love, a significant purpose, and a strong hope are the three inner needs that every person has, no matter who you are. So he built upon that to say, you know, we've got to really be looking for how these uh, needs are manifesting in the people around us and our spouse and our kids and the people we love and see, you know, how we can better meet these needs in them. And obviously we can't do this perfectly, only God can, but if we're aware of it, you know, you can really stem a lot of problems within relationships and and discipline issues when you're looking for these these inner needs and you're asking yourself is is what's happening right now a kid who is feeling insecure or a kid who's feeling a little hopeless or you know a kid who doesn't feel like they have a purpose and if you can meet those needs it really stems the tide of some of the problem the behaviors that can come out of them so in my book i you know expanded upon that a little bit to say you know, very often negative behaviors or whatever it is that you're seeing in your kids that you're like, that's bad behavior, or that's not good. A lot of the time people behave badly because they're trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And, and so in addition to those inner needs that my dad talks about in his book, I'm like, I, I feel like as a mom with the boots on the ground every day in the trenches with my kids, that there were some other categories of needs. And so the first category that I thought was pretty obvious is physical needs. You know, sometimes our kids, especially when, I mean, we sit, you see this all the time when they're little, they're acting the way they're acting because they have some kind of an unmet physical need. You know, they're hangry. And trust me, my teenage girl, <laughs> still get hangry. So sometimes it's like nothing's going right. Nobody can say a nice thing. Yep. Everybody just needs to go shut their mouth and go in the kitchen and have a snack. <laughs> oh, believe me, uh, with the boys. down and take a nap. You know, it just yeah. nothing is going to get better yes. until they go down for a nap. And so I think that can kind of be obvious, although it's easy to forget sometimes. I think we all could share stories of times our kids were misbehaving and all of a sudden we realize, oh my goodness, they're hungry. That's why. That's why they're acting this way. And with my four boys, they are constantly hungry. Well, one thing that's been helping me out in not just feeding them great meals every night, but meals that I know are going to feed their brains and their bodies well, I've been using Prep Dish, which is a weekly meal planning subscription service. They are such loyal sponsors of this podcast. I'm so thankful for them. I love how every week I get a PDF in my inbox with the grocery list of different meals I can choose from deciding on like what our week looks like, um, breakfast and lunch and dessert options. And then it has a prep kind of instructions on how to get everything ready in one day if I wanted to and how to cook the food. And now they don't just have paleo plans and gluten-free plans. They're offering keto plans, if that's what how y'all are wanting to eat. Go check it out over at prepdish.com forward slash DMA, and you can try it for two weeks free. I can't think of a better thing. I just love giving y'all tools that are helpful in feeding your family, making sure you're getting good food and making your life a little bit easier. We had a beef and broccoli stir fry last week with cauliflower rice. I never would have thought my boys would eat that and they ate every last bit and it was so simple and delicious. So go check it out at prepdish.com 
forward slash DMA to get your two weeks for free. All right, let's get back to my chat with Karis. Well, and I'm even thinking physical needs like from us that they're looking for some physical affection from us, especially if they are a sensory seeking kid, they might be seeking it negatively. They're the kids that when you put them down to go to sleep, they're like, lay down next to me. They just are craving that. And then this busy, busy, go, 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 go kids in carriers, kids are strapped in. Like you're not physically touching your kids a lot of the day. And Mm -hmm. so Right. Anyway. Yeah. Because affection, physical affection is one of the ways that those heart needs get met in all people. But some kids and people are just, that's their love language is meaningful touch. And so, yeah, if it, when you think about it, you're right. I mean, so much of our day is go, go, go. If we're not taking that time with our kids to physically touch them and tickle their back and just be with them, then yeah, they're going to cry out to get that need met in negative, self-destructive ways often. So there's those physical needs. And then the, the other category that I saw are what I call unique needs or special needs. And the reason that this is, is different than physical needs is because, you know, physical needs are things that all people need. You know, we need to feel safe. We need food. We need rest. We need to be the right temperature, all that kind of stuff. But special or unique needs are things that are unique to our particular child that might not be true of everyone. Hmm. And so this is kind of a sneaky one because you have to approach every person as an individual. And it's really easy to forget that our kids are people. I mean, it's crazy to say that, but it's like (laughs) our kids are are people. (laughs) They're tiny little, you know, eventual adults, they're walking around and um, they're all individuals. And so a lot of the time their behavior at home or at school might be an attempt to get a unique need met, a special need met that is not getting dealt with for whatever reason. And so for us, that was ADHD. For your listeners, that might be something else like a learning disability, like autism uh, spectrum disorder. It could be another mental health condition other than ADHD. It could even be, you know, a physical health condition or a disability that got to take that into account. If you're trying to kind of decode your kid's behavior, like why are they doing what they're doing right now? Especially if it's it's a consistent pattern of behavior that is problematic it's really important to say, okay, I'm seeing this pattern. Let's go back and assess needs in all of these categories and just see if there's something we're missing. Behavior should be sort of a a red flag in our mind to say, okay, start thinking about unmet needs. I think as moms, we do that instinctively a lot of the time, especially with the physical needs and stuff. But, um, well, I think it is, it's studying your child. It's studying them and And with children with autism and with medically fragile kids, it's Mm -hmm. like you said, going beyond the diagnosis to their personality and how they present. And some kids might be the kids who need more time alone. And some Mm -hmm. of these kids may need more time with friends. And some of these, you know, I've found when I saw some behavior in one of mine, I realized I had neglected to really intentionally make time with some of his friends Mm. and to feed his social need. And then another one of mine became really clear that he was freaking out on all of us and literally locking himself in the bathroom 
and crawling in the back of our car when we were parked in a parking lot waiting for another brother to get out because he needed to be alone. And in a yeah. family of four kids, he wasn't right. getting enough alone time. Right. Yeah, and never alone. Yes. Exactly. And his sensory system is always on high alert. And so mm-hmm. it's even more exacerbated when we're going and, and everyone's loud. And so I have in the last week just implemented, we say it, his name, and then we say it's his time and put a positive spin on it that we've noticed mm-hmm. that you're really happy when you get this time alone. And oh yeah. my word, the behavior has dropped. The negative behavior has mm. dropped and just recognizing he needs time alone and we need to give him freedom to do that instead of him just yeah. having to forcefully take it. But with a lot of our kids, it's it goes even beyond whatever medical or uh, diagnosis or whatever it is to really know their personality. Right, right. Um, which is tricky if you have a child that's nonverbal. Yeah. But you can tell what, what brings a smile to their face, what lights them up and, and read right. their nonverbal cues of what are yeah. they, what are they gravitating towards? I think that's really insightful, Karis, to yeah. help us do that study, that work. Well, I, I love that example because not only were you, you know, you were clued in enough to say, Hey, this kid, I mean, it's like, he's trying to crawl into a hole to get yes. all, away from all of us, yes. you know, and yes. you, you know, you were, were loving and gracious enough to recognize that not as a negative, but just as a part of how God made him. And like you said, to make it a positive thing where he can get his alone time and what you've done in addition to just helping him right now in your home is you're helping him learn about himself and you're helping him learn about what he needs. This is, I mean, that's going to serve him so well in the future too. You know, when he is in his own relationship someday or when he has his own family, even when he goes to maybe to college and he's going to learn, yeah, I could just kind of, I know when I'm getting to the point that I'm overstimulated, this is all too much, and I need to go have my, you know, alone time. And so he's going to learn to to self-advocate. And that's the biggest win as a parent, because you're, you're, we're raising our kids to send them out into the world someday. So we see this negative behavior, our kids with special needs, without special needs. You're saying, look, at see which physical needs haven't been met. See which unique needs haven't been met. Is there another area? Yeah. So, I mean, the other category is those heart needs that all people have, you know, the need for a secure love, the need uh, for significance and purpose, and the need for a strong hope. Ultimately, you know, we, we pray that the Lord is the one that brings identity and purpose and security to our kids. But, you know, as their parents, while they're living under our roof, we really are kind of the first version of God that they know. I'm not trying to be idolatrous here, but but we act sort of in the place of God in our kids' lives when they're under our roof. And how we treat them, how we parent them is going to reflect in their mind of of what they expect from God. And this can go either way. If we're harsh and if we're ungracious with them, they may think that God is the same way. You know, I, I know a lot of uh, women who I've been in Bible studies with, who we've kind of been working through our own issues together yeah. in our faith, so much of their um, hangups, yeah, yeah, hangups and their their negative views of God have to do with their own parents, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's this not feeling this guilt, like, oh, it's all up to me, but this right, right. gift that 
if we say God loves you, that word mm-hmm. love is defined by their experience. Right. They can have of the knowledge. Yes. And, yeah. But if they don't know tender, grace giving love from the family that they spend their most time with, that's yeah. really, it's, it's hard. God can heal it. He can. I've seen yeah. it with women. I've seen them be healed from a lot of wounds from their childhood. And Absolutely. we can take it to him if we even mm-hmm. trust him with that. You know, the right. enemy will use that to keep us distant from God. But yeah. there is this gift that we can't say, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do as a mom. Mm-hmm. It does. You, you're, it you're does important. matter. You're important. Yeah. And to take that role as it's important. Well, and, and in my book, the way I kind of say it there is we're the first lens through which our kids see God. Yeah. We don't have to be perfect lenses because we can't be, we'll never be. Mm-hmm. And taking on that perfection can really be crippling to us. So we can't be perfect lenses, but I think our goal should be to be good enough grace-based moms and dads so that we're not distorting our kids' view of God through our own, you know, fallenness. And and a big part of that is apologizing and asking for forgiveness of our kids when we get it wrong. And that's something I had to do with my daughter, Lydia, because I, I mean, you talked about the difference between sort of toxic fear that keeps you clamped up and immobile and then fear that causes you to take steps in a positive direction. I was dealing with some of that negative toxic fear at first with her. I was really pushing back against all the recommendations of the teachers. You know, I just had it in my mind that like if we officially diagnosed her with ADHD and especially if we medicated her that she was going to get labeled and I just had all this stigma in my mind that was just causing me to really hold back all the help that people were trying to give her out of fear, out of my own fear. And what's even harder to admit for me is that, you know, I struggled so much in school when I was a kid and I, because I didn't have treatment for my ADHD. And I just thought if we treat her and it works, I am going to have to grieve a lot of years that I struggled that I didn't have to, but it came to a point and and the turning point really was hearing her say, I want to go be with God. You know, it just woke me up and I was like, what am I doing? We have got to help her. And I don't know what this is going to look like, Lord, but I trust you. So, you know, I know there's so many things that parents are facing with their kids that can just feel so heavy. And it's just really easy to let fear shut you down. So, I I mean, I hope hopefully people can be encouraged by my story. And I mean, I've heard a lot of other parents say similar things as once I finally decided that. I wasn't going to let my fear drive my response. Things got better. We made strides towards whatever the goal was, you know, closer relationships as a family or resolving discipline issues with kids. So, well, I, I think all that's amazing. And I, I know there are moms thinking, okay, all right. So we're going to identify which needs are not being met we're going to model love and grace and forgiveness and and apologizing. And yet they really struggle with how to be firm, like keep those Mm -hmm. boundaries of this is not acceptable because grace isn't grace if there isn't truth. So there's this line, but what's tricky, especially if you have a child, and I know this hasn't been your experience, but if you have a child that is nonverbal or has maybe a, a difference in their 
level of intelligence and you're struggling to know mm. that there may be their bodies at one developmental age, but their mental age is right. younger. And so right. there is a disconnect in, do they understand what I'm asking them to do? Right. And I mean, I've had, having worked with kids with special needs, I've seen it, the parents struggle to know what boundaries to uphold. Right. Um, and so sometimes then as the kids get older, they're having some behavior challenges because there were boundaries the kids understood, but it, there's so much else going on that they don't want to have a negative discipline experience, which, right. you know, what advice do you have for them and, and the research you've done on this? Well, I think, especially with a child with, you know, a developmental disability and intellectual disability, especially if they're nonverbal, like you mentioned, you know, we, we do have to constantly sort of assess our expectations of them and make sure that we are placing expectations on them that are fair, that they are capable of responding to, right? So if we're going to have rules and boundaries, we really, especially if we have other kids who are neurotypical or who don't have these special needs, we are going to have probably different expectations of our child with special needs than we do of our other kids. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have rules and boundaries and expectations of our kids with different needs. But we've got to, you know, gauge that and match that to their abilities because, Otherwise, you know, it's not fair and they're going to be constantly falling short of our expectations of them if we have expectations that are unrealistic. And this is a wide spectrum depending on the kid and depending on their vulnerabilities. But even with my ADHD daughter, I was placing some expectations on her that she just was simply incapable of living up to. Once I kind of learned more about ADHD, and it's so funny because I, it's my lived experience my whole life, right. but I still had to go through such a learning process to be like, to learn about myself and to be like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. This is why she needs one instruction at a time. Hmm. Her brain can hold one thing at a time. Now she's grown from there. So now, you know, she can kind of do multiple, okay, go in the bathroom and brush your hair and your teeth and then come out here, put your shoes on and sit down at the table for breakfast, right? Like part of a routine, like part of- Right, that would have been an impossible expectation for her five or six years ago because first of all, she wasn't getting treatment for her ADHD yet. So she didn't have the chemicals in her brain that deal with all of that executive function. So if you if your brain works the way it's supposed to, you don't even realize the processes that are happening in the background that are involuntary that help you remember what you're supposed to do and help you behave in the way that you are supposed to behave. Well, she didn't have those things in place. And so I would say, okay, we're going to go into the bathroom and you're going to brush your hair. And I would stand there with her. She'd do it. I'd probably have to remind her a couple of times and I'd say, okay, now you're going to brush your teeth. Okay, now we're going to walk out into the living room and put your shoes on. Okay. Now you're going to come sit down at the table and we're going to eat breakfast. And trust me, those were hard mornings, but it was so much better for me to manage my expectations and then to help her learn how to do the right thing in a loving, patient way than it was before when I just would constantly get frustrated with her. Like, why can you not do this? You know? So I think it's the same with, with kids who are nonverbal or kids with you know, intellectual disabilities, we, we have to be tuned in enough to know what are they capable of, but also don't underestimate them because this is something I see 
happen in the special needs community sometimes is you feel so badly that your child is facing such a difficult reality that you don't discipline at all, that you don't place any expectations on them. And that's not fair to them either, because that basically says to them, you're not capable. And so I think it's such a balance of knowing what they can do and then expecting them to do it in in whatever way makes sense for them. And then when they don't or when they're not getting things done or not living up to your expectations, finding out why and figuring out what you can do to help them. You have to take it one day at a time sometimes. And like you said, when our special needs kids grow up, a lot of the time their bodies are big and strong, but their minds are younger than their bodies. And so you've got to constantly sort of be moving that expectation bar so that it matches up with where they are, you know, uniquely. And it can be so hard and exhausting. And and so, you know, parents of special needs kids, unique needs kids, I just encourage you get as much help as you can. I think a couple of things that you said were helpful. One, it's knowing, like we said, what to expect. And that can come from talking with their different therapists that are on right. the board, the teachers, mm-hmm. because they've seen other kids with yes. similar disabilities or needs. And so then you can set your expectations appropriately. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't even know. I did a session with moms about toddlers, like really setting mm-hmm. your expectations about <laughs> the right. language development of a toddler and what to yeah. expect from multi-step directions, multi-step related, right. unrelated. So I don't think we, even though information is everywhere, I don't think sometimes we recognize like what's appropriate for the child. But then right. you were providing support with her for her. We're going to do this and then we're going to go this. And that's exhausting. But yeah. I have a feeling you slowly were able to remove that support. Right. We would use visual guidelines. Like if some a child is, is more needing pictures and you have mm-hmm. a schedule and they can look at the schedule instead right. of you having to walk behind them, you can right. work with a speech pathologist or an OT or a PT to help remove some of those supports over time so right. that your child becomes more and more independent and then mm-hmm. they gain confidence because there is like yeah. a confidence that comes with them not relying on you to be right. Easy. And I think honestly, when we talk about the word discipline in a lot of mom and dad's minds, that's how do I get them to do what I want them to do when I want them to do it? Yeah. And we have to reframe that. And you did that, I think in our last episode. So part yes. of that is holding that truth and that expectation, but also a lot of grace and love. Mm-hmm. And you had some tips in that episode too, about removing the behavior in a bucket apart from the mm-hmm. child, still loving the, the child. Yeah. The basket. the basket. And then keeping your attention on loving the child and talking about the behavior over here to the side. Right. Yeah. 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 I love that you talked about discipleship because discipline and disciple have the same root word. Within discipline, there is this idea that we're not just dealing with problem behavior. Not, we're not just issuing consequences for inappropriate behavior after the fact. Discipline also includes teaching them. It also includes helping them know what they should do instead, right? Because our kids often, it's like, well, I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I don't know what I am supposed to do. So, you know, especially when they're little, kind of constantly making them aware of your expectations of them. You know, it's not fair to have expectations of somebody, but never tell that person what your expectations are. It's like they can't live up to expectations that they 
don't know exist, right? And so in terms of what you referred to, the I, I call it the basket exercise, and we talked about it the last time you and I chatted. But the idea with that is it's a mental exercise to help us separate our kids' behavior from their heart mm-hmm. because they aren't defined by their behavior. They're more than that. Who they are and their intrinsic value is not defined by their behavior. And I know this is true because our behavior doesn't define us in God's eyes. What makes us who we are to him, what makes us his children is Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. And he pays this price to free us from kind of the chains of our sin. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a holy child who is made holy through Christ's righteousness. And so so this is a biblical concept, but it also is very practical in the sense that when we find ways to separate our kids' behavior from their heart, and the basket exercise is just one mental exercise example of how you can do that in real time, but it allows you to diffuse your own emotions. It really de-escalates the emotional toll that dealing with our kids' behavior can take on us. And good discipline is responding, not reacting. When we're reacting, we're not thinking about what's best for our kids very often. We're thinking about maybe what's best for us. You know, if we choose to take it personally, then we stay stuck in our emotions, in a victim mindset, and we can't think clearly. And I'm not saying take the rules away or don't have the same expectations, but when we can see our kid, you know, the way that God sees them, we can approach them with love and kindness, but also with discipline and say, it's in your best interest that you learn to obey these rules. It's just that mental shift of good discipline is for our kids. It's not about us. I think it's really helpful how you, the basket example too, in regards to the fact that when we're talking about special needs, we're talking about a lot of expectations of who our kids will become. Right. And having to almost set aside those too. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. And the grief that's associated with a child who's not lining up with their siblings, not lining up with right. their peers, exhaustion, that yeah. anger that we have the harder kid. Why didn't I get this right. kid? Yeah. God, what good can come out of this? I don't understand why this can't be easier. There are so many emotions associated with whatever behavior our kids have, whether intentionally negative or unintentionally um, negative, because it's just, the needs that they have, but, right. but yeah. setting all of those emotions identifying them and bringing them to God separate yeah. from our kids, not right. reacting to our kids from a place of bitterness, anger, discontent that we fear. can fear all of those things yeah. to set them aside and then love our child, seeing their heart through it all and mm-hmm. connecting with their heart. I, I know parents with kids with special needs, and that is the biggest journey is they love their kids severely. Like they love them Mm -hmm. to pieces. And yet, it's so exhausting. It's so So exhausting. exhausting. And I think what you said about 
about sort of grieving your original vision for what you thought parenting was going to be like and setting aside some of your expectations of their future because a lot of things are unknown. You know, a, a lot of kids with special needs can grow up and live more normal lives. Like, you know, my daughter on, on a spectrum of, of special needs, she's very high functioning and she's going to be fine. Um, but I know there are parents who, you know, they may have to provide care for their child for that child's entire life, you know, and yeah, it's exhausting. And, and, and that's why, you know, your motto, don't mom alone. It's important for all moms, but it's especially important for moms of kids with special needs because you just need the support of other parents, especially other parents in the special needs community who can kind of stand with you in solidarity, can bounce ideas off each other. They're going to have insight about things that I could never have insight about because I haven't gone through those same things. And like you said, use your resources. You know, your, your child's teacher is probably one of the best experts that you can tap into. A lot of teachers nowadays have master's degrees, sometimes even doctorates in, you know, child development and education and depending and if they're a, you know, special ed teacher, they have a wealth of knowledge and education and experience that they can help you with. And, and I know you talked about the different types of school, and this is not me saying public school is the only way to go and it's the right thing. But in my experience, I'm so grateful for the resources that I had available to me through the public school system that we never would have been able to afford otherwise. Well, Karis, I appreciate you. And I know that you have another resource beyond the book that you're offering. And I wanted to make sure people knew about it since we are talking about not momming alone and you know, right. y'all have friends with kids with special needs or even reach out to people through your public schools and whatever early childhood programs. You could create a group to work through this video curriculum. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So, so you know, my big project this year is that we filmed a six-part video study on the topic of discipline called Grace-Based Discipline. And it expands on the information in my book, Grace-Based Discipline. You know, we kind of recommend that you read the book along with the video study, but you don't have to, you know. Um, and e each teaching session is about 20 minutes. And then there are discussion questions to kind of get you talking with other parents and get you discussing and, and get you kind of troubleshooting together and uh, praying for each other and just really supporting each other. And so um, the Grace-Based Discipline video study is going to be available uh, on March 1st. And um, it's available through Right Now Media, which is kind of the Netflix of Christian content. <laughs> so see if your church has a Right Now Media account. It's something that a church has an account for. It's not something that individuals can get an account for, uh, but many churches do. And if not, you can get the study through us at Family Matters. That's the name of our ministry that, uh, that I've been a part of. It's been a ministry for 34 years, and I've been here for about 10 years. And so that's familymatters.net. You can also learn more about all things grace-based discipline at gracebaseddiscipline.com. So hopefully that's a resource that people, you know, that's really going to help people. And, and I know not everybody learns through reading. And so I wanted to make another format for, for people who are, you know, like to watch things instead. Appreciate it. Yes. All the learners. We got the visual All learners. the learners. 
Well, and everyone's always looking for a curriculum. They're like, what can we do with our small group yeah. or what can we do? And so to have videos, it takes the pressure off in a already yeah. busy schedule where we do want to talk about meaningful things, but we don't really right. want to have to reinvent the wheels. So we appreciate right. you filming those and making well, them available. No yeah. It would be great for like a mops group. Yeah. Thank you, Karis, for sharing some of your story with your girls and, and your own journey and for encouraging us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much. And I just, I love you and I love your heart for women and for moms. And, and I echo your encouragement to them that they join together and that we can face the difficulty of parenting when we don't mom alone. So I'll be praying for you and for all your wonderful ladies. Thank you. I hope you have a fabulous day. You too. Like Karis and I said near the end of that conversation, we get uh, that parenting requires a lot of adjustment and expectations. And there are days when you question, God, did you get this right? It's really hard. I met a sweet mom at a mom's group this past week, and she shared with me uh, her daughter who had cerebral palsy and her face lit up when she was talking about her daughter learning to speak. And I know that those days are challenging. She's pregnant, expecting her third and yet the joy, the joy that comes alongside with the challenges that when things are not super easy, it helps us gain some gratitude for when we have a win. And so um, I'd love to pray a blessing over all you moms who are working through um, some unique needs and wondering how you're going to do the next day or the next 10 years. And so I just want to pray grace for today. Um, like my mentor, Vicki Kraft, would say, there is no grace for your imagination. And it's when we get ahead of ourselves that we often feel the most stress and the most anxiety. So I'm praying for us to be present. Let me just pray over us right now. Lord, I lift the woman listening to you, God. I want her to hear from you. I want her to know that she is seen, that she is valued, that you didn't make a mistake when this is the assignment she was given. I pray for her to see the grace in the moment by moment, how you provide the right person, the right word, the right doctor, the right a therapist, the right perspective, how you are empowering her to be an advocate, how you are growing her to be dependent on you more. I pray a spirit of peace over her right now. Pray a spirit of grace that she would feel your comfort when her world is shaking, when ease sounds so much better, that she would fall into your capable arms, that outside of this space that you've assigned her, you are so faithful and that it is her trust in you that brings the most peace and that it's not a, a rejecting you because of what's happening, but a embracing you. I pray, Lord, for friends who have similar needs to arise in her life that supernaturally you would orchestrate encounters with another mom who has a child with a similar need so she would feel less alone, God, in what she's doing they could swap stories and be encouraged. I thank you, Lord, for this community. I pray, God, that you would meet our every need. In Jesus' name, amen. I thank you guys for always listening. I appreciate it. I thank you for grace as we stumble through these conversations that are not easy to have. 
yet so, so important. Okay, I think that's it. Thanks y'all for joining me. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for signing up for show notes so that we can stay connected. Uh, Go to don'tmomalone.com and you can see where you can put your email address in there. Thankful for all of you who help other moms remember that they are not alone. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.